according to John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister said word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, Are you not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so, so that you may believe. But, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she answered. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at his, the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in her, the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come, Come and, and see, see Lord. Lord. They replied, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, and Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the, the, the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. But I, but I said this for the, for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth wrapped around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The word of our Lord. That was awesome. Thanks. Have you ever opened the fridge or perhaps your green bin and as you open it, you get hit by this wave of stink? Something's been rotting away and you can't quite tell what it is and it smells so bad that you actually don't want to get close enough to find out. The smell of rotting meat or eggs wafting from your garbage or perhaps if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, uh, perhaps that leaf of kale that you drop behind the couch. You know, because vegans eat kale loosely on the couch, right? <laughs> I confess, I had to uh, Google what fruit and vegetables get stinky when they go bad. Apparently, kale, potatoes, and durian are the worst. Who knew? I would have thought broccoli would have made the list. But if you're like me, you know, one day you get this, like, little whiff of something. You know, it's not right, not quite right. And you think, you know, perhaps, you know, something the dog ate or, you know, nothing re reapplying a little deodorant isn't going to fix. But then a few hours later, you realize it's actually a little bit worse. You know, so you take a quick glance in the fridge, but it doesn't reveal really anything. So you just leave it. And then, you know, the next day or maybe two days later, you can barely breathe from the stench. You end up having to clean out your whole fridge. Well, maybe that's not you. Maybe that's just me and Monica. And if I'm being honest, cleaning out the whole fridge part is going to be Monica. <laughs> because I'm just too lazy. I just take out the stinky thing. But In the story that the Beatty Tapuni family read for us, that waft of stinky, rotten, egg, kale smell is exactly what Jesus' friends are expecting. Now, but before we get to that moment, uh, for those of you who have a printer and something to color with, uh, we do have a couple of coloring pages online available for you to download and color. If you're watching on YouTube, the link is in the description below, or if you're watching on our website, it's just below where the video plays. And on the website, there are two pages. One is this complex design with butterflies. The other one is more simple. 
Uh, and in a minute, uh, Dale will put on the screen two pictures of a similar but different stories from the Bible. And I want you, uh, in 10 seconds or less, to identify as many differences as you can. And I'll set my timer here. So, okay, ready? So, as many differences as you can. All right, go. All right, time's up, but you can leave that up. Okay, so what are the differences? One has happy clouds versus the other one has looming clouds. One, the stone uh, on, is on the left from the hole in the grave, and the, the other one, the stone's on the right. One has trees and bushes. The other one doesn't have any foliage. That's another thing. One has crosses inaccurately placed on top of the tomb. And the other one doesn't. One is colored by number. One isn't. One has lines on the rocks and a stone, a track for the stone to roll in. Did you catch any other ones? I think that's everything that's different about them, right? Oh, no, wait. There, there is also this one guy that appears to be wearing a bathrobe in one. And the other guy appears to be a mummy. <laughs> okay, thanks, Dale. You can take those off. Now, if you hadn't guessed it yet, the one in the bathrobe is Jesus after he rose from the dead. And the one on, in, that looks like a mummy is Lazarus, the guy from the story who, brought Jesus, who Jesus brought back uh, to life after he had been dead for four days. While both men came back to life after dying, a small difference between the two is that Lazarus was still wrapped up in the material in which he was buried. Well, Jesus left his grave clothes in the tomb. Not that big of a difference. Although if we think about what uh, the... Anyway, there's not that big of a difference. However, there are much more significant differences, of course, between Jesus' resurrection and Lazarus' resurrection. Differences that actually alter the course of history. Jesus sums up the differences in something that he said to Lazarus' sister, Martha. In the Gospel of John, there are seven revelatory, that means revealing or, or, or showing, uh, there are seven revelatory statements that Jesus makes about himself. I am the gate. I am the light of the world. Here in John 11, uh, verse 23 Sorry, 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That word resurrected, it means to be raised from the dead. Resurrected is something or someone that is truly and fully dead is being made alive again. Lazarus was resurrected, but Jesus is the resurrection. As we heard in the story, Jesus' friend Lazarus had died and was put in a sealed tomb. He had been dead for four days before Jesus arrives on the scene. And Jesus' timing was actually very intentional. 
Where Jesus was when he heard that Lazarus was sick was actually a four-day walk away. But when Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, he waited for two days, stayed where he was for two days, until he knew that Lazarus was no longer sick, but that Lazarus was dead. He waited for Lazarus to die before he started his walk, knowing it would be four days from the time of Lazarus' death to the time that Jesus arrives. Now, one strong possibility for this uh, is that in the, in the first century, there is a rabbinic belief that when after a person dies, their soul will hover over their body for three days, and it will hover there until the body starts while going the way of the rotten kale. And once this change starts occurring, the soul leaves because the soul knows the body is officially done. This is a rabbinic understanding. It isn't scientific. But Jesus didn't arrive until everyone was 100% sure Lazarus was dead. Physically and, you know, in, in all, in, in all uh, religious understanding, Lazarus was 100% dead. Then after this beautiful moment where Jesus weeps, he is deeply moved he then asks them to roll the stone away from the sealed tomb. And of course, they are first reluctant, but Jesus convinces them with the words, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. All, of course, they plugged their noses in preparation for that waft of rotting eggs. But that smell never comes. Instead, after Jesus says a prayer and he calls into the tomb, Lazarus, come forth. That's for anyone who uh, remembers the old, Car there's an old Carmen song. Lazarus, come forth. And out comes Lazarus. He's alive. He's a well. There's no rotting. He's just stuck in his wrappings. Jesus had turned Mary and Martha and the community's mourning and despair into celebration. He had turned rot into restoration. Lazarus had been brought back to life. But there's something else about Lazarus' resurrection that we need to keep in mind. That it was not the same as Jesus' resurrection. Because Lazarus, you know, perhaps in a year... Perhaps in a few years, or maybe if he was lucky, a decade, Lazarus was going to die again. Poor guy had to do it twice. He was going to die again. Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead to point to something even greater than simply extending his life by a few years. Jesus brought Lazarus back, as he says both in verse 15 and in verse 41. He brought him back so that they may believe, so that they may see the glory of God. The glory of God that has power over even death. Lazarus' resurrection was a sign, a revealing of who Jesus was and his power over death. Lazarus' resurrection was an example, a paradigm, or an enacted parable, you could say. It was a foretaste of what was to come. 
And though Lazarus' resurrection showed Jesus' power over death, it should not be confused or equated with the resurrection that was to come, that of Jesus himself or that of the resurrection that all who love Jesus look forward to in the future. Kind of think of it like those little spoons you get in an ice cream store. You know, you get this little tiny spoon, and they give you a little tiny hint of something good. Though it really only makes you long for more. It doesn't satisfy, it just you want, makes you long for more. And it sure is nothing close to that triple scoop on a waffle cone that you actually are looking forward to. Jesus' resurrection was just a foretaste, sorry, Lazarus' resurrection was just a foretaste of what was to come. So that they may believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I don't believe that when Jesus says this, he is using um, these two different words, resurrection and life, to mean the same thing. I don't think it's like a preacher trying to use different words to emphasize a point or to make a word picture. You know, like maybe someone would say foretaste, sign, example, and paradigm. Not that any intelligent preacher would ever do this kind of wordplay. I think that Jesus is using the word resurrection and the word life as two different but complementary ideas that put together make one revelation about Jesus but they are two different things. I am the resurrection. In verse 23, Jesus says, Your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, what this is, is most Jews at the time of Jesus uh, believed that at the last day, God's faithful people would be resurrected all together. Most people believe this except for this group called the Sadducees. But that's, you know, why the Sadducees were so sad, you see. Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Anyway. If you remember, there's, there are kids that are with us, right? So I got to pull out the, all the good dad jokes. Most Jews at the time uh, would have believed in this uh, last day resurrection. And so this is what Martha is talking about when she says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And she th- she, this is her response to Jesus because he says, your brother will rise again. So it is very natural that she thinks this is what Jesus is talking about, the end of res- time, the end of time resurrection of all of God's people. And Jesus' response to her actually affirms both that she is correct, but also that there's more. Verse 25 again, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? By saying, I am the resurrection, Jesus is not only affirming Martha in her current belief in the resurrection at the end of time, but he is putting himself into center of that belief. He is putting himself as the one that all of her hope, all of her expectations lies in him, the resurrection. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. 
Jesus has shown Martha and shown us that the hope of being raised to new life after we've died and at the end of time, this hope is centered in him, it comes through him, and it is because of him. Another huge reveal, of course, comes three days after when Jesus himself has died on the cross. Martha believes in the resurrection like most other Jews that was everyone would be resurrected at the time, but at the same time. But as we celebrate today, Jesus was the first to truly rise again. Jesus completely blew the understanding uh, that everyone would be resurrected at the same time. He blows that out of the water when he was resurrected before everyone else. Unlike Lazarus, where Lazarus came back to life, what was still living in his same unchanged body that would one day die in decay again, Jesus' resurrection was the end of time resurrection. Jesus rose in a body that would never taste death, that would never get stinky with rot. But rising in the middle of history, not at the end like the Jews were expecting. Jesus' resurrection, it was the first fruit, the first of a plentiful harvest that was yet to come. The living hope that we will all one day be freed from the bondage of decay and rot, sin and death. Jesus is the resurrection. And Jesus is the life. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die Whoever lives by believing. The Bible talks a fair amount about something called eternal life. That is life never ending. That life that goes on for all of eternity. But often when we talk about eternal life today, people are talking about it like it's something that begins when we die. That right now we have kind of a regular life, but after we die we have this gift of eternal life. But I think this is to misunderstand what eternal life is. The author of Ecclesiastes tells us that God has set eternity in the human heart. Jesus tells us that he came that we would have abundant life, that we would have life to the full. I believe eternal life is eternal, but that eternal life of Jesus that he offers us is something that we have now. Here's how I picture it. Uh, we, I've got a little graph that I, I made. It's a little a timeline. <laughs> Jesus' resurrection was something that occurs within time. That the, uh, the black line going across uh, is time. Jesus' resurrection occurs within time, but then at the resurrection at the end of time is when all who are God's children are raised to new life in the he new heaven and the new earth. But the eternal life we have doesn't begin at the end, at that resurrection going forward, that eternal life actually begins now and goes on into eternity. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he is revealing himself as the one in whom and through whom and by whom resurrection comes and that he is the life, the resurrection life, you could say, that we live here, now, and into eternity. Like Martha, Mary, and even Lazarus, who would one day die again, Jesus is for us in all creation the resurrection and the life. 
Can you put, maybe put the next one on? Why did Jesus come when he did? Why did he die and then rise again, not at the end of time like the Jews expected, but in the middle of time, leaving us in this in-between time? Well, I think one of the reasons he did this was to offer us a living, eternal life and hope in the now that goes through to the end of days and into eternity. That even in the midst of the stench of rot and death and decay, we could know the love of God has for us. We could have a depth of life that God wants from us, for us, strengthened in hope and purpose that can only be known through the glorious resurrection of Jesus from the grave, but that can, can be known as we live in this in-between time. Jesus' resurrection in the middle of time gives hope and meaning to those of us living between his rising and his return. He's given us a place of a living place to direct all of our deepest longings, a living foundation to steady our hearts and their restless sense that things aren't quite right. Thanks, Dale. This living hope in the future resurrection, while living in Jesus' life now, is what the Apostle Paul writes about in the second letter to the Corinthian church. He writes this. Of course, I've got the wrong... Uh... Though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. By fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, we see that there is purpose, there is hope, even in the troubles of life. Food is still going to rot and get stinky. Creation will still be in turmoil. People's hearts will still be broken. People will still be mean and selfish. We will still be mean and selfish. But in the resurrection of Jesus, we are given hope. Hope that these things will one day end. But also hope that in the here and now, we have life in Jesus. We can live in the light of Christ's death and resurrection, knowing that there is purpose and eternal glory that outweighs all of the world's rot. Author Rachel Held Evans writes in her book, Searching for Sunday, and I'm going to end with this. Death and Resurrection. It is, the impossibly, it is the impossibility around which every other impossibility of the Christian faith orbits. Baptism declares that God is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. So if you want in on God's business, you better prepare to follow God to all the rock-bottom, scorched earth, dead-on-arrival corners of this world, including those in your own heart. Because that's where God works. That's where God gardens. Baptism reminds us that there's no ladder to holiness to climb. No self-improvement plan to follow. It's just death and resurrection 
over and over again, day after day, as God reaches down into our deepest graves and with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, rests us from our pride, our apathy, our fear, our prejudice, our anger, our hurt, and our despair. Thanks, Dale. God reaches down into our deepest graves with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Hallelujah. Christ is risen. God, uh, we just pray that you would help us to see you, to know you. We thank you, Lord, that you have um, come in the middle of history so that we could know your resurrection life with us now, even as we long and hope for that day when all things will be made new, when all rot and decay and death will be done with forever. But in this midst of this time of waiting, in this in midst of this time of serving and loving and living out your resurrection in the world, we ask God that by your Holy Spirit that you would strengthen us, that you would Renew in us a hope, joy, life, and peace so that your resurrection life would live in us and out of us into a world in need. Amen.